Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. You making an effort to be in the house of God today. It wouldn't be the same if we weren't together. We can feel the same spirit in our homes. We can feel the same spirit on our jobs, but there's strength that comes to being together. And I'm thankful that we are today. If you're a guest in this house, we thank you for being. We sincerely appreciate you being in service with us today. I want to ask you, if you would, to join me in the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm going to be reading Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. Just one verse of scripture this morning. Ecclesiastes 3 and 1. The Bible says, To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under heaven. To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under heaven. You may be seated. Time is something that we can all relate to. Solomon expounds on what he's talking about in the rest of that chapter in verses 2 through 11. He said there's a time to be born and a time to die. Time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted. He said there's a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. There's a time to weep and there's a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and times of dancing. So there's a time to cast away stones and to gather those stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, getting, losing, keeping and casting away, a time to rend and sow, a time to keep silence and speak, a time to love, a time to hate time of war and a time of peace. It goes on to say in verse 11, he hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he hath set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. From the beginning to the end. And so everything in between is just called life. It's here that Solomon explains and expounds in the center of a somewhat hopeless discourse if someone were to look at it in a one-dimensional term full of struggles and frustrations. It's in the middle of the vanity and the vexation of spirit that he sets in order the events of life. The common denominator is time. In the middle of it all between birth and and death, two events of which we have absolutely no say over, are times, 
seasons, and events. All of which, however, we had the ability to choose to make right decisions in the midst of them. And we had the ability to choose our reactions among them. And all of it revolves around time. Something that we're all aware of, time. It's just clicking by and it's in the back of our minds and it governs everything that we do, every factor of it. It regulates and it measures everything we do in all aspects of this life. Time is the indefinite continued process of existence and events in the past, the present, and the future regarded as a whole, the progress of time as affecting people and things. But within this measurement of time, we find a concept called timing. Timing is the choice or the judgment or control of when something should be done or a particular point or period of time when something happens. I once heard Brother J.H. Osborne preach, and he just mentioned this just really in passing. He said that life is all made up of just individual moments of time. A moment is the smallest measurement within time, and your whole life revolves around just a few of them. Just a few moments in time your whole life is affected by. The timing of these moments and our reaction to them will literally affect other moments that will become a whole and will create a total outcome. But you only get a few of them. You only get a few moments in time. For instance, the moment you say, I do. The moment you decide to spend the rest of your life with a person. That moment will affect all the other moments from that point forward. The moment that you decide to live for God. The moment that you decide to give up and give out and allow him to take over, that very moment will affect all the other moments in your life from that point forward. So the moment that you decide to live for God will affect that moment. Also, the moment that you may decide to walk away, that moment will affect all other moments. And so I say this morning that Timing is everything. In the business world and execution of tasks in life, timing is everything. You only get a handful of moments to deal with that will literally make or break an entire lifetime, an entire span of time. So doing the right thing at the right time, is absolutely imperative. Hear me today. I don't believe that we're here right now in this very house by accident. I've had the privilege of speaking in our, our, our assisted living facilities and, and more so more often here late as uh, being able to speak in our prisons and our, 
and our incarcerated places. And I've had the privilege of standing before men that have made very bad decisions in their lives. They've, they've, in just the heat of a moment, I heard a man say the other day, just in passing as we were leaving, he was asking me and Brother Jerry uh, where we were going, if we were going to have a good day, he was going to have a good day, and we were talking about some food that we had eaten on the way there. Maybe it was at the Live Oak prison. Maybe it wasn't me and Brother Jerry, but he said, if I hadn't lost my temper at that one moment, I wouldn't even be here today. So one moment in time. But I've had the privilege to stand before those men and say that even though you may have made a bad decision in one moment, even though one accident may have put you where you are or created a certain set of circumstances in your life, the fact is this, you are not an accident. You are not the accident. Maybe a decision that you made was the accident, but you yourself are not an accident. And so I've come to this desk today to say that one more time to whoever wants to hear it today. Some things that you may have done in your past may have put you in a certain sort of circumstances, but you, my friend, are not an accident. You see, Jeremiah was told before you were ever formed in the womb, I knew you and I ordained you. I knew where you were going when I formed you. And so you are not the accident. Even though an accident may have put you here or, or, or put you in a certain circumstance, you are not an accident. And we are not here today by accident. I'm thankful that I made the right decision this morning to be in the house of the Lord. You see, we're not accidentally here, and we're not accidentally aimlessly wandering through time, but we are here on purpose, and we are here for a purpose. And in the kingdom, in the kingdom of God, timing is everything, and purpose is paramount. You see, you and I live and have a purpose, and we've been called to a specific time in which to fulfill that purpose. And there is no question of talking about all this purpose and all this time. And one of the greatest stories that I believe in the word of God that examples this is the story of Esther. And so we're just going to spend a few moments here this morning and we're just going to take a little journey. Is that all right? The book of Esther is a very fascinating book of the Bible. It's a historical account that covers a period of several years during a portion of Jewish exile However, I don't believe that it's only a historical narrative. I believe that it provides great example of how God keeps his promises. It provides an example of how God protects his people. It gives insight into individual purpose that is both recognized and is cultivated. A call that is given, received, and responded to. And it illustrates God's divine timing. Now there are a lot of moving parts in this story and to get where we need to be, it might be quite cumbersome for a few moments, but please lean in and let's let the Lord speak to us this morning. The central theme is the overall providence of God and opportunities that are taking well and full advantage of. The account spans the course of several years, some say maybe 12, and so with that, let's begin. Chapter 1, we see that the king has called a feast, and in his... In his feast, he's called his queen to him by the name of Vashti, but she refuses to come before him 
and he is advised to exile her and punish her, and that is what he does. In chapter 2, we see verses 1 through 4, a search for a royal replacement, and we see Esther, formerly known as Hadassah, rise to prominence in verses 1 and 23. Chapter 2, verses 5 through 18, we see her preparation, her purification, and her crowning. Esther 2, 8 through 9, the Bible says, So it came to pass when the king's commandment and his decree was heard, and when many maidens were gathered together unto Shushan, the palace, to the custody of Haggai, that Esther was brought also unto the king's house to the custody of Haggai, keeper of the women. And, and the maiden pleased him, and she obtained kindness of him, and he speedily gave her her things for purification, which such things as belonged to her. And seven maidens, which were meet to be given her out of the king's house, and he preferred her and her maids unto the best place of the house of the women. If we continue on in verses, in chapter 2, verses 19 through 23, we see that her cousin that has adopted her as as her, her father, Mordecai, begins to have influence and he shows his loyalty to the king when he overhears an assassination attempt and then subsequently thwarts that attempt. We see that in Esther 2, 21 through 23. The Bible says that Mordecai would sit in the king's gate and he overheard two men speaking about, and I'm going to paraphrase some here, about how they were wroth with the king and that they wanted to take his life. Mordecai, the Bible says in verse 23, that was known unto him, so he told it to Queen Esther, and Esther certified the king thereof in Mordecai's name. They did make that inquisition. It was found to be true, and those two men were hanged. And so Mordecai shows his, his loyalty to the king. He takes his request to Esther, and she takes it to the king, and the king does what it, with what he will with it. But if we move even further in the story, we've set up some sort of a back plot of what's going on. A man by the name of Haman, he, he, he rises to power and is crowned uh, a head in that, in that palace to the king. We're going to have quite a lengthy reading, so just stay with me for a minute. A minute. Esther 3, verses 1 through 6. And after these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman the son of Hamadatha of the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman. For the king had, had so commanded concerning him, but Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Then the king's servants which were in the king's gate said unto Mordecai, Why transgressest thou the king's commandments? Now when it came to pass... When, when they spake daily unto him, that he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman. And, and, and so Haman uh, goes before the king. He, he sees that Mordecai is not bowing to him. And so he, he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai, verse 6. For they had showed him the people of Mordecai. Wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of of Mordecai, and so not only did it affect Mordecai, but it affected everyone that was related to him. And so in Esther 3, 8 through 12, Haman said unto the king, there is certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of the kingdom. 
and their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore, it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. If it please the king, let it be written that there may be that they may be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that had the charge of the business to bring it into the king's treasuries. And the king took his ring from his hand and gave it unto Haman the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the Jews' enemy. And so let me just say this for a moment. Let me just pause here for a moment. Haman the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the Jews' enemy. It's important to note here that Haman is an Agagite. That sounds familiar, it should, because in 1 Samuel 15, we see that Saul was charged to take out all of the Amalekites. The Bible says that he spared King Agag of the Amalekites. The result was a subsequent generation having to contend with an enemy that they should have never had to contend with in the first place. Let me just say this. If you've got something in your life today that is hindering your walk with God, you need to get it out now. Because it does not have just potential to hurt you, but it has the potential to affect other generations that are coming behind you. And we don't want them to have to fight something that we can take out right now that we can deal with now. Sin will follow you. Sin will take its hold on you, but it will affect other generations. And so that's what's happening here now. A decree has been given. A law has been instituted. And the Jews' lives lay in the balance. And that brings us to chapter 4 where we're going to spend the majority of our time today. The Jews begin to mourn. And they begin to lament over what has happened. Mordecai clothes himself in sackcloth and ashes and would go before the king's gate. But something very odd happens in verses 3 through 5 of chapter 4. The Bible says that in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment, and his decree came, there was a great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved, and she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai and to take away the sackcloth from him, but he received it not. So first, Esther seems a bit distraught, she just tries to ease Mordecai's pain. So just take this sackcloth and ashes off. I'll send you some clothes. And you just change your mind and, and get right and, 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 just, and just forget about it. But he received them not. And then Esther called for Hatak, one of King's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend upon her and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. If I'm not mistaken, Esther lived in the palace. Esther lived right downtown where all of this was taking place. 
Yet she was unaware of the decree that had gone forth to take out the Jews. Can I just pause and tell you something today? It's a dangerous place to be in, in the palace, and not know what's going on around you. It's a dangerous place to be comfortable and complacent, and we cannot afford to be there today. We have absolutely no business being in a place of comfortability or complacent in the hour that we live in with all that's going on around us. I'm not saying that we need to, we need to just deluge ourselves with all the things that is going on in the world, but we at least need to have a knowledge of what's going on in the world today. We need to know how to give a right answer for what's going on in the world today. So comfortability and complacency are no place to be. The Bible says, woe to them that are at ease in Zion because they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. So Esther 4, 6 through 9, the Bible says, so Hatak went forth to Mordecai into the street of the city which before the king's gate and Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him and the sum of the money that had been given. Also he gave him a copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther and to declare it unto her, to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him, to make request before him for the people. And Hatak came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Now this seems so eerily familiar. He tells her to go before the king. I have some information for you. But this time, Esther responds, I believe, as any one of us have the the, the potential to respond. She says, not me, not now. I can't because it's not the right time. Again, Esther spake unto Hatak and gave him commandment unto Mordecai, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come in unto the king into the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these 30 days. And they told it to Mordecai. Now anyone else may have just said, okay, it's over. There's nothing that we can do. But I am thankful for men like Mordecai who will stand and not take no for an answer. I'm thankful for persistence in in Mordecai because he said, he commanded to answer her, think not within thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I'm thankful for the persistence of a man like Mordecai that would not take no for an answer. He said... Don't think that this is not going to affect you too. 
You can't just hold your peace and think that you're going to save your own life. No, this decree, Esther, it has something to do with you too. It's going to affect you as well, and it's time to speak up. And so she said, go gather all together the Jews that are present and fast ye for me, neither eat nor drink three days nor a night. And I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. And so this morning, I just want to paint a picture for us. It's not difficult to see that this story closely represents how sin entered the world. Sin is the decree and an enemy that is warring against the soul of man. It's not hard to see how this this closely parallels how Jesus himself advocated for man, sacrificing himself for the remission of that sin and the eradicating of the curse. But just for a few more moments, let's just bring this just a little bit closer to where we are as a people today. I want to bring it just a little bit closer so we can see it maybe through a different lens this morning. And so let's lay out the cast of characters in this story today. They are not, in fact, just characters, but they are strategic people that are placed in strategic places for a specific place in time. They are our example And they are our insight into our own lives and where we are today. And so in the context of where we are now in the story, we begin with the king. The king Ahasuerus is none other than the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the one that makes all the decisions. He's the one at the head. And he's the one that makes any decision in any matter. Next, we have Haman, that dirty old man that comes on the scene. He's none other than Satan himself and represents him doing what he has always done. His attempt has always been and will always be to issue the decree that would completely eradicate and annihilate God's plan, purpose, people, and timing. Hear me today. When you're called to do something for God, there's always going to be an enemy. When you're called to do a work for God, there's always going to be opposition. It's not just going to be something that we can go into without any problem or any circumstance facing us. There's always going to be an enemy. There's always going to be an enemy to your soul. But I'm telling you this morning, even though there's an enemy, we have a king. Even though there's someone that's coming against us, we have a king who makes all the decisions. And so we must stand and fight with everything we have in this hour. Next we see Haggai. He's only very briefly mentioned in the story. The Bible calls him the keeper of the women. He gave Esther everything she needed to present herself to the king. Esther obeyed and was given a special insight into what was needed to be done. If you read back, you read about how he brought her the things that she needed, and that's all she required. That's all she took. While others were taking in extra things to try to make their selves more beautiful, 
while, while they were trying to take things in to make themselves more appealing to the king, Haggai just gave her just the, the necessary things to benefit her, to take her to the king. Let me tell you this morning, Haggai represents this book that I hold in my hand. Haggai represents the word of God in our lives. And hear me today. This is all we need to go before the king. While others are taking everything else into their lives, while others are taking on this and taking on that and trying this and trying that, trying to get to the king, this is all we need this morning. This is all we need this morning to make it before the king, the word of God. It's insight. Everything we have, it's everything we need. He represents the word of God. It gives us everything that we need, every instruction that we need that provides us access, but only if we obey it. Only if we obey it. Mordecai represents the one who recognizes who Esther is. He cultivates what he sees in her. He calls her. He admonishes her. And he exhorts her to her full potential. He charges her and he challenges her to something that does not seem as though it's going to be a very fun thing to do. But he charges her, and he challenges her. Can I tell you this morning, maybe you already know where I'm going with this, but Mordecai represents the pastor or the preacher in our lives. Mordecai is the man that will stand behind the desk and he will call you and he will admonish you and he will charge you and he will challenge you. I'm here to tell you today I'm thankful for preaching. However it comes, whether it feels good or whether it cuts my toes off, I need preaching in my life. I need a man that will stand against the opposition of the world and tell me what I need to hear. Tell me what I need to do and I want to listen to it and I want to obey it with everything that I have. Thank God for a man who will charge. Thank God for a man who will challenge. Thank God for a man who will stir the heart of the church to her full potential. Thank God for a man. And so speaking of the church, there's only one more character we need to speak about this morning, and it is Esther. She represents a lady that was once an orphan, once a lady with no father and with no mother, but she becomes the queen, second to the king in power. Hear me today. The devil is not second in power in this world. There is not God and then Satan and then the church. No, 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 no. It's God and then it's the church and then it's whoever else. She's second to the king in power. She rises out of obscurity and into prominence by the hand of almighty God, 
Esther represents this morning the church, the bride who is chaste and who is pure, who is going to be presented before the king. But in this particular instance, she had become somewhat comfortable. She had temporarily lost sight of who she was and she had temporarily lost sight of her potential. But hear me, it was only temporarily. It was only for a moment. It was only for just a little bit of time because when Esther realized who she was, when Esther came to herself and said, you know what, I can do this. When Esther said, I can go before the king, when Esther realized who she was, she was unstoppable. And I'm telling you this morning that if we can realize who we are, I'm telling you that we will be unstoppable in this world today. Hear me, we are living... We are living in perilous times. There is absolutely no doubt about that. What was only spoken of in back rooms and dark-ended corridors is now front-page news and in our face. The enemy has no qualms whatsoever about his agenda today and what he wants to accomplish in this hour. But hear me today. The church of the living God should have that same attitude. We should have no qualms about what we want to do in this hour today, the church should stand proud and strong and and, and confident that God is going to do something for us in this hour. You see, the threat of humanity has already been issued, and there's already been a decree that has been set long ago that openly openly threats the existence of humanity and the church. I'm here to tell you that the hour that we live in is absolutely dark. It is desolate. And sometimes there seems as if there might not be any light at the end of the tunnel. The curse upon humanity is literally taking its toll on people. The things that we see happening today, I believe right now, is a literal expression of the grieving and the mourning of souls of mankind as they grieve against this curse that has been placed upon their life. But I believe that eternity was placed in the heart of man when breath came into him and made him a living soul. Yet sin has separated and has placed a damnable curse on the human race. Broken homes, shattered dreams and lives and willful disobedience. I believe this are all an outward manifestation of that curse. Sin is literally abounding in this hour, but sin is literally abounding in this hour, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So sin is absolutely rampant. It really does look bad, but thank God for grace, because with grace, there's still time. There's still time with grace. There's still time, there's still time, and there's still a time, there's still a time. And so as the church, as the church, we literally stand in the gap between absolute destruction and total salvation. We hold the keys to the kingdom. I believe that. We hold the keys to the kingdom. And so for a few more moments, 
I just want to talk about the church. And I want to talk about God's timing in the church. I believe that we are living in the greatest days the church has ever seen. Can I please get an amen for that? It's not a weak church. We're not in a fledgling church. It's not wandering grossly and aimlessly through darkness, groping to find its way through. No, 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 no. The church is not groping aimlessly through darkness, but it is shining the light of revelation through that darkness. And hear me today, just like in the first chapter of John, when Jesus came on the scene, he said that the darkness could not comprehend the light. And I'm telling you today that the darkness still cannot comprehend the light just like Jesus, just like when he came and gave that light of revelation, we are still founded on that same revelation today. And we are still the same church that was started way, 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 way back then. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so the church, where we are today, what we're doing today, we have not just met for a moment in time to make each other feel good, but we are here for a purpose. We are here on purpose. And we are here to fulfill his purpose. I hasten, but I've often wondered what it would be like to live in other eras of time. Even as a child, I would sit and just ponder about what it might have been like to live, say, in the Wild West or something like that where life was so much simpler. There wasn't hardly anything to worry about, and it was just a slow pace. But when I got into the church and I started to see all this stuff going on, I would I would read in the book of Acts, and I would think, wow, wow, what would it have been like to live during that time? What would it have been to, to live in, in the early stages of the church as it was born into magnificence and began to f- spread like wildfire across the east. I often thought about that and then here is late I even thought how how marvelous would it have been to live in the early century of, of, of the early 1900s when, when the church regained its resurgence in the land and began to, to move again like that wildfire. But I've got to wake myself up and say no, 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 that's already happened. We're living now in the best time that we've ever seen. We're living in the days and the best days that the church has ever seen right now. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord and thank him for who he is. So the greatest thing, the greatest thing that anyone in this building could ever come to the realization is where we are and why we're here. Two of the greatest things that we could ever come to the knowledge of is that we have been called for such a time as this. Peter said it like this, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Hear me, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God which had not obtained mercy but now, now somebody say now have obtained mercy, hear me I'm going to say it again, we're called this morning on purpose, for a purpose, to fulfill a purpose because we have responsibility two things and I'm hurrying I promise you, two things that we should never forget is where we come from and who we are Where we've come from 
but who we are. We are chosen. We are called. Hear me today, and I mean this with great respect, but a church that under that does not understand who she is is a danger to herself and to everyone else around her. She puts all of them in jeopardy, but a church who understands who she is and where she's come from and where she's going is a danger to the enemy. A church that has forgotten where she's going or who she is is a danger to the people around her but a church that understands what she's called to do is a danger to the enemy of our souls today we must understand that God has brought us as a church and individually to where we are right now for a specific purpose in time but just simply going to a church that understands this is not enough We've got to understand that individually we have been called to do a work for God in this hour. What made the difference for Esther and everyone else in the wake of what was to happen to her and with her was her commitment and her resolution to carry out the task before her with the right attitude. Because here's the reality, and I'm coming to a close if our musicians and make their self ready. Here's the reality. We've already read it, but let's read it again. Esther 4, chapter 13 through 14. Then Mordecai came to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. Verse 14. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art calm to the kingdom for such a time as this. This has been mentioned in services past. But I had it in my notes when the man said it. And I feel like it needs to be said again today. We had a missionary not too long ago and on Wednesday night, I believe it was the 22nd of this past month. And something he said was very profound and it caught me and it arrested me. He said that when he was feeling the call to the missionary field, that God said this to him, you're not the first one I called. You're just the first one that said Yes. Not the first one that called, but you are the first one that said yes. And so here's the other side of the coin this morning. If we refrain, recant, or renege on the promises of God, God will choose someone else. Because God is going to have a church. For his name's sake. And God is going to fulfill and complete his promises. And he will do it in the time that he said he would. God is going to have a church. And he is going to use people to facilitate his plan and his purpose in the earth. God is going to have revival. 
And he is going to raise up a people in this end time to facilitate his will and bring about the greatest revival that this world has ever seen. And so if God is going to do this, if God has already said, I will, then why don't we say, we will? If he's already said, I'm going to do it, he might as well be using me. If he said he's going to accomplish it, it might as well be you. It should be my family. And it should be you and me. It should be us. And it should be at this time. And it should be this church. Who said we can't do it? Who said we can't do it? God says we can. Then I believe we can. It doesn't matter who says no. If he says yes, then we've got all we need. Esther said, it's not time for me to go. I can't. I can't do this. Mordecai said, it is for you to do. But make no mistake, if you don't, God will still bring an enlargement and a victory to his people. I'm thankful again for the persistence of a man who will get in a sacred desk and call and call and call. But I can't. Yes, you can. Call and call and call. It's not time. Oh, yes, it is. Get on the ball and do whatever it is that you need to do to make, to make this right and do what God is calling you to do. I can't do it, Esther said. But he said, yes, you can. Go in unto the king because you've been called for such a time as this. And so here is the attitude that she had. I'm going all in. I'm going to do what I'm called to do. And if I die, I die. If I fail, I fail. But let me hear, let me tell you something here today, Esther, wherever you are, you're not going to fail and you're not going to die because it's what you're called to do. And if you'll just stand up and do what you're called to do, God will see you through it. Come on, let's stand together right now and lift our hands to heaven and thank him for who he is. So we end where we began. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. Between birth and our inevitable last breath if Jesus decides to tarry. We have a purpose. And we have a mandate to fulfill in this hour. And hear me today. It's not coming. It's already here. What we need to do for God is not coming in the distant future. It's already here and it's upon us. And so I give you my title to every purpose and to everything. There's a season and a time. What time is it? Our time is now. Now is our time because now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Now is our time because now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. I end with this quote I read just a few days ago. The ending, the ending is the only legitimate reason for the beginning. Let me say that again. The ending is the only legitimate reason for the beginning in the first place. 
hear me today, we're living in the ending right now. And if God did not have confidence in us to fulfill his will and to fulfill his purpose, he would have never started it in the first place. My Bible says better is the ending than the beginning thereof. My Bible says that he'll give us the former rain and the latter rain together. And so all we need to do is grab hold of the vision that has been casted and move headlong into our purpose and into our destiny. Come on, lift your hands one more time and thank the Lord for who he is. Come on, I believe he can call somebody today in the name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.